please enjoy this extra episode this week where author Charles Siegel walks through the mechanics of how linear magic works in M20 Sorcerer. If you like this kind of walkthrough, leave us a note at matesthepodcast at gmail.com, add us on Twitter at matesthepodcast, or tell us in our Discord, discord.me slash matesthepodcast. This is our last coverage of M20 Sorcerer until Adam and I discuss it for Tomes of Magic, which will occur once the PODs are out and we've had time to read it. The next episode will be on Operative's Dossier coming this weekend. Coming up, we have a few episodes on the Lovecraft mythos, the cosmology of William Blake, how to adjudicate magical effects running an investigation game, preparing to run a mage session, and hopefully Gnosticism. And with that, on with the show. Hi, mage fans, and welcome to the third part of our three-part interview with the writers of M20 Sorcerer on what's in this wonderful book. My guest right now is Charles Siegel, friend of the show and frequent Storyteller Vault contributor and uh, occasional Mage of the Podcast guest. Charles, how you doing? I'm good. Glad, uh, glad to be here talking about my first and hopefully not last time out writing for Mage officially. Yeah, fingers crossed on that one. So what did you write for M20 Sorcerer? What sections were you responsible for? So I wrote most of the core mechanics and quite a few paths. One of the things this book does is it kind of takes a new approach to how sorceress spells, which is what they're referred to in here, are done. The aspect system has been reworked. The idea of there being a core attribute plus path being rolled is now different. Can you walk us through how a sorcerer creates an effect? I don't know that I think that it's been reworked quite so dramatically. The aspect system does come from Sorcerer Revised. It's been substantially cleaned up, I think. One of the goals we had going in was to make the mechanics coherent, clean, and easy to understand. I hope that we succeeded at that. Ended up taking a view that each path is, in some sense, a collection of aspects. And most paths have some aspect that is unique to that path. Like as an example, divination has an aspect query, which is like what kind of or how detailed a question are you able to ask? No one else has that aspect. But then there's the sort of more common ones, like what area you're affecting, what distance you can do something over. If you can take passengers with you, which can be used by a few things, not just teleportation type things. Basically anything that we thought of as this could be used by more than one thing, whether or not it is used by more than one thing in this book, because we've included rules for making up your own paths, is treated as sort of a common aspect and listed all in one place and then just referred to to avoid repetition. If you look through Sorcerer Revised, you'll see that a bunch of things have similar or identical aspects just repeated in each description. And we just did not have the word count to repeat things that, mu that much. So we, so we focused on how can we get the most bang for the, out of the word count that we have. When a sorcerer is creating an effect, in Core Mage, we have the whole idea of focus being composed of practice plus paradigm plus practice plus instrument. Is there any analog for sorcerers? So sorcerers, their paradigm doesn't actually matter, really. It's all about practice. It's a, like sorcery is an expertise matter, not a belief matter. One of the ways that it's fundamentally different from awakened magic, where belief is the core of what you're doing and then your technique is how you go about doing it, but not as much the motivator. For sorcerers, practice is really the 
core of what they do. One change we made is, for instance, the dice pools rolled. In previous editions of Sorcerer, every path, every path, everything had a specific dice pool. Like you rolled intelligence plus a cult to accomplish hell, you know, the path of the hellfire. So now a sorcerer is a member of some sorceress organization, and that organization has favored attributes. So those are the attributes that you would use for the attribute plus ability role that does the magic. And the abilities are done via the practice abilities for whatever practice you're using. So if you're using the practice of alchemy in order to perform the path of alchemy, which you should probably do that instead of something else to avoid confusion, then you're going to look at, you'll go, go to M20 core, you'll look up alchemy in the focus uh, in the focus section, and there's a list of abilities there. You pick one, you assign it to the path, and now your path roll is whatever attribute you picked plus that ability that you're picking, and now that's your dice your dice pool. So you have a lot of freedom to pick how you do it. This is specifically to avoid either having to list a bunch of things or have technocratic extraordinary citizens rolling intelligence plus a cult for a lot of things. So instead, you know, they'll be using, say, hypertech as a practice. So they'll have you know, hypertech the ability to roll or science or technology or whatever is appropriate. I have definitely had characters have like conveyance, drive. How do I get from place to place? I've got this really cool car. And that's perfectly manageable in this system, but not really doable within the older Sorcerer systems from World of Darkness Sorcerer and Sorcerer Revised. We strove for that, that level of flexibility to handle varying focuses naturally. One of the things that I also noticed that has switched back and forth is in M20, can awakened mages use paths? The hermetics learn paths or, or sorceress magic as part of their apprenticeship, and then they learn awakened magic. Can the two live side by side? So we took the perspective of no. Reading between the lines in Order of Hermes Revised, you, know, you learn path magic at very low level as an apprentice. But one of the tests that I don't remember if it's stated explicitly or just very strongly implied is that a hermetic needs to see the paths as power without without real enlightenment or understanding and move beyond them to awaken. And that awakening costs something. It costs those paths. I have at least always interpreted mage as not allowing the fully awakened to use path magic. There is one sideboard bar in Sorcerer Revised that suggests that maybe it's possible with ST permission. Well, there's a sidebar in this that says no, it's that says just it's not a thing that you can do. From the outside, what a mage does and what a sorcerer does would look pretty much identical. If they're if they're accomplishing the same thing. And of course, a mage can do many, many things where a sorcerer can do one. For a, at least a general a path does a few things. A mage sphere can let them do a million things only bound by their creativity. But they'll do the same thing. So the question is. If they do this thing, what causes the magic to happen? And if you're awakened, it's your avatar. Your avatar alters reality in order to make your magic hat work. Whereas if you're a sorcerer, reality permits you to do the magic this way because you have, stu you have studied, you have this expertise, you put in the time and the effort, and now it's paying off. Another thing that kind of changes in this book is the relationship between sorcerers and witnesses and sorcerers and quintessence. How does witnesses work? In previous editions, we had still had unbelief, which to me defeated the purpose seemingly of sorcery in a lot of cases. How does this book handle a sorcerer doing something while being watched? 
as you said, previous editions had unbelief, which I remember being surprised that there were mentions of, but basically no systems for, except for I think in Sorcerer Revised, there's like an offhand comment that if you do this in front of witnesses, it fails, which that makes it kind of boring in many ways. A sorcerer is then just a person who sits in a room alone and does magic. But we do want it to be much harder to do sorcery in public, where, where lots of people are watching and can scrutinize it. Things should be much, much more difficult if there's a lot of people. And that prevents the problem of, well, this character has no paradox and can summon a hurricane. They just need to get a bunch of successes. So why don't they just sit down in Times Square, do that, and destroy Manhattan? Well, part of it is that witnesses subtract successes. So we have a table that scales it up. Like once one witness makes things a bit harder, there's, you know, you lose one success, a small group is going to get you to two and so on and so forth up to if there's at least a hundred witnesses, then you're losing five successes. And it is very difficult to do things when you're having, when you have minus five successes. As we phrase it as successes removed, you could just as easily say added to threshold, but threshold usually only applies starting around, starting at difficulty nine. So we didn't want to have that confusion. And how are difficulties for effects set? It seems like there are two parts. You have the path rating, which kind of sets the difficulty, and then you have all those aspects that kind of set the number of successes that are needed. Kind of what what is the dice math, as it were, when a character is firing off a spell? The dice math is that you mostly don't just fire off spells. Sorcerers are not fast. If you want to be able to do something in 30 seconds to affect, especially to say affect someone else, you need to awaken to pull that off. It's commonly said that mages are all about preparation and that a mage who has had time to prepare in their sanctum is virtually unassailable. Sorcerers are all that and more. A mage can improvise, so they are capable of working off book. If you catch a mage off guard, they are not disarmed, they're merely disadvantaged. Sorcerers, even spells that are cast quickly, take one turn per level. So you're not just bringing the path of hellfire by itself to a fight and hoping for the best. And then rituals are 10 minutes per level. And of course, they can take much longer because extended rolls are extended rolls. However, to avoid the problem of you know hellfire, which most people regard as a combat path, Personally, I, I've always treated it more special effects. Like when the wizard waves their hand and all of the candles light up, that's Hellfire and that's just, you know, cool stuff to do. But then I tend to both run and play in fairly low combat games. So I know I know I have a bias there. So we included a bunch of ways for you to have your do your magic in advance and just have it ready to go on a moment's notice. So one of those is the store spell ritual, which every path has at the fifth dot where you can basically just cast a spell, put it into an object, and it's sitting there ready to be used instantly whenever you want. Uh, you've already done the roll. It's good to go. Other things you can do are you can hang spells, which is similar but less potent because it's not a fifth-level ritual. Instead, what you basically cast the spell, burn a point of willpower and some quintessence, and it's sitting there ready to be used, but it's taking up brain space. For every two spells you have hanging, you take a plus one difficulty in all mental and social roles. Just because you are distracted, just keeping that spell in. And then, of course, there's paths like the Path of Alchemy and the Path of Enchantment, which are really strongly preparation-based paths. 
but you get a nifty item that can go do stuff. Alchemy for more one-shot things and enchantment for you know persistent magical effects. What is the relationship of a sorcerer with quintessence? Fraught. So there's a bunch of things that they need or would prefer quintessence for, but they do not have awakened avatars, which makes everything a thousand times harder for them. So for instance, hanging spells, like I said, cost quintessence. There, there's a bunch of other things that cost quintessence. And there's no just simple, I manipulate quintessence background in the way that mages get. Instead, they have to start working on the path of quintessence manipulation, or they just need tasks with appropriate resonance. So everywhere that quintessence is mentioned, you can use tasks of the appropriate resonance. And that's going to be what powers a lot of sorcery stuff, because quintessence is a bit more metaphysical, and they just don't have as much access to that branch of the metaphysics of the world of darkness. So if it's okay with you, can we walk through trying to assemble an effect and just talk through what would happen? Okay, take your effect. So I am looking at the Path of Fortune allows you to wield luck like a weapon, cutting down their enemies with curses or fortifying their allies with blessings. I would like to curse the entirety of the kickball team that made fun of me in sixth grade. They have reunited for the sixth grade reunion, and there are like 15 of them, and I would like to level a curse upon they and their team so I may emerge triumphant. What else would you need to know from the onset as a storyteller for me to be able to do this effect? Okay, so first I need to know what your attribute and ability for the path are. So you will need to know the practice that I am using for this, right? And which practice ability you're using. Okay. If I remember correctly, that is decided at the time that you learn the path. Okay. You know, if, if, if you are using high ritual magic for this and you pick or the high ritual ability, then you are just always using the high ritual ability for this. Okay. My practice is chaos magic and the associated ability is expression. I am creating a extensive beat poem to declare in the eyes of Eris. You're cursing them with rap battle. Yes. And I have four dots in expression, say. And what is your attribute? That's usually based on your affiliation. I am a remarkably petty member of the cult of Isis, and my associated attribute is a charisma of three. Hey, charisma plus expression is a perfectly reasonable tra uh, trait combination. As an ST, I would certainly allow that. So I now have seven dice. Do I add anything else to that? No. Okay. You have seven dice. Now we need to figure out how much of the path you need to do what you want to do. Okay. And what will determine that? That's where we get to aspects. Okay. So first off, you said that you it's a soccer team. A uh, kickball so team. A kickball team. If that kickball matters. Team. Yeah. How many people are on a kickball team? Uh, let's say 12. 12? Okay. So you need four dots in order to get to in order to get that number of targets. Okay. And that is determined by the aspect chart. There is a master aspect chart that says the number of people you're going to affect. Yep. You're higher than 10, but less than 50. So that's four dots on the number of targets aspect. So if you don't have Fortune 4, you are going to have to just, you know, pick out a couple members of the team that you just are going to have to have no beef with. Okay. Or you can cast it more than once. Let's try and get this done in one go. Okay. How long do you want them cursed for? I would like them cursed for a game. So I'm going to say for uh, two hours or, or something okay. close to that. One scene. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so that's the duration of two. And fortune has its own, the aspect of severity. Yes, and so how so how badly do you want to curse them? 
I would like them to suffer a uh, major setback that is visible to others, but not one that is totally injurious. So I would say level three, a major setback or bonus temporarily give grave illnesses. Maybe their cooler of Gatorade gives them all a very rapidly developing case of uh, amoebic dysentery or something like that. Okay. So that's the fourth level of number of targets, the second level of duration, and the third level of severity. So that's nine dots in your aspects. And so here's part of how you can see why sorcerers are not casting powerful things, certainly, in a quick way. You need nine successes on seven dice. Is there a way to turn that into an extended effect? Yes, you, you can treat this as an extended action as per the usual extended action rules from M20. So yeah, you can you can work to build up these successes. It's just going to take you time. There is, for effects, there is a minimum casting time, right? Oh yeah. For just an extended roll for a spell, you're not trying to do some kind of ritual, then it's just, it is still just one turn per level. Okay. Do I get to roll on each of those turns? No, it's so you need to spend four turns to get the initial spell going, and then you can roll again each turn after that that you keep working. Okay. So this isn't something that's going to take the character hours, but you can see very quickly that this is not going to work out very well in combat, as at the very least you're going to need five turns. You're going to need five turns, depending on how well you roll. And you are rolling at a difficulty eight. Okay. And difficulty is just the highest, the path rating plus four? Yeah, and because there's an aspect at four, your path is at four. You need the path at four here. Got it. So my path rating limits kind of both the uh, kind of limits all the magnitudes of what I can do, and that is that seemingly is kind of new, and I I, I like that. Um, so for this, how do we talk about witnesses? Is this one of those things where it is only a witness if it is something that is vulgar? Is there a notion of coincidentality? Coincidence? Yes. Uh, if you're doing it in front of the team, there'll be witnesses. Okay. If you are doing it from far away, which is a tricky thing to do because this path does not have a distance aspect, then you could avoid them counting as witnesses because you could be sitting in a sanctum. Or yeah, I'm using sanctum here informally rather yes. than in lowercase s. <laughs> yeah. I begin the game. I start doing this beat poem. Everyone's kind of staring at me. There's something like my team and their team. So there's. 20 to 100 people, so I have four successes removed. What is the difference between a success being removed and a success being added from an aspect? So the successes being added are the minimum threshold you need to accomplish. The successes removed are making it harder to achieve that number. Mathematically, it's essentially the same. So functionally, what needs to happen is that you need to get, you need to get those nine successes plus these four. So you'll need a total of 13 successes. So you could technically just barely manage this in two rolls if you're lucky, but you're spending at least five turns doing this. Probably more because rolling seven successes on seven dice at difficulty eight is hard. Yeah. So the other thing though, that a lot of the paths have is kind of a one-off difficulty modifier. And for the path of fortune, I get minus one for a weak sympathetic connection and a minus two for a strong sympathetic connection. I have the trophy that this team had that they all signed when they absolutely trounced me last year. So I'm going to say that that is a minus one modifier for a weak sympathetic connection. Well, here's a question. How seriously sure. do they take this? Is this a prized possession of the target, perhaps? Hmm. It would depend there. And their signatures could also be argued to be 
a bit more strong. Like, so here we're getting into what counts as a weak versus a strong sympathetic connection. Under some circumstances, that same object might be worth minus two, but in general, it would probably be minus one. Okay. It, I'm going to say that it is strong. These are people that went from, that peaked in high school, that when, when, then went on to do CrossFit. They drink out of this in celebration beforehand. So it contains their bodily fluids. So I'm going to say that this is minus two. Okay. So then you're at difficulty six. I am preparing my beat poem. I am rhyming their names with unflattering adjectives to describe them. And after four turns of this, I get to make my first roll against difficulty oh. six. Hold on. Go on. You have to spend a willpower to start. To start. Okay, so I have spent my point of willpower. This sweat beads are upon my forehead, and I got two successes, which is well short of what I need. How long can I go with this extended ritual? We didn't put in any um, hard limit. This isn't really an extended ritual. It's, it is an extended action. But you can action, go, yes. But ritual's a bit different. But yeah, you can basically go until you are stopped or until the ST decides it's time to ask you for a stamina roll. So my first roll had two successes. My second roll had three successes. And my third roll had four successes. So the fourth is going. I'm still whipping up this beat poem. And I got an additional five successes on that roll. So that brings me to my 14. And this effect fires off. It is now, I guess, up to the storyteller to determine what the effects of this are. But I've yep. successfully casted my Dwalimer yep. or, my, or my, my effect. How does failure work if I had botched any of those roles or just stopped before I could finish. So if you just fail, it's pretty much nothing happens. Like if a member of the other team came over and shoved you into the dirt for being a jerk, because, <laughs> uh, you know, you were doing that for a while. You just fail. It's done. You burned a willpower for nothing. Failure is pretty low consequence for sorcerers in general. Botching, well, each path has a price of failure description under it. And let's see what for what fortune says about that. So so if you botch, something still happens. Like you may get a curse that looks to you like it's successful and has harmed them in some way, but everything ends up working out for the best against you. So maybe they do get amoebic dysentery, but that makes them so eager to get off the field that they play way harder and just beat you and just you lose by so much more than you did the last time. Mm, yes. The other way it can go badly, uh, if you botch for fortune, is that it can rebound upon you. Oh, dear. That would be bad. Yeah. Don't botch. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and that botch is, again, one of those things that is determined as part of every role. So yeah. the more successes you're shooting for, the, the vastly higher your odds are of botching as you go along. Yeah. So you, know, you extend those roles until until you get enough successes at your own risk. And you can kind of see why it would be valuable for a sorcerer to sit at home where no one's watching, prep things, have them hanging in the back of their head, and then go in. So without that, you would have only needed nine successes. It was nine successes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one of the advantages of prepping ahead is it removes the witnesses requirement then? Yeah. You're casting without witnesses. You can then go release the spell. Bad things happen to your enemies. The one thing I would warn is that the ST should try to make clear to you that your character is going to think that they have succeeded unless the ST tells you that they have screwed up in a way that they can recognize. So one thing I would do as an ST is not is if your character has botched, point out to you that your character doesn't realize they've botched. They have the spell ready and it's broken. 
failure they can probably fi- they can figure out because it's not sitting there in their head taking up space. The world of darkness, you know, is a setting that has botches. You can screw up really badly, and it kind of removes that risk if you can do the work in advance, realize that you've screwed up really badly, and then just you know not do it. And that does require that segregation between player and character knowledge, but. I know a lot of people get very paranoid about that, but my experience is that most people try if you were, especially if you just give a gentle reminder of, so you don't know you botched, but there's a bad spell sitting in there and your plan is going to end badly. So the other key thing in that a sorcerer can generally do besides spells are rituals. How would things have changed if my character attempted to enact this as a ritual? So first off, they would need an they would need to know an appropriate ritual. Creating rituals is hard. It is going to be easier to do it off the cuff like this than to create a whole ritual. But if you have a if you have learned a ritual that is relevant to this, that's going to make things easier. So generally, rituals are capable of doing things one level higher. How do I get a ritual in the first place? Is that something I spend XP on, or you spend XP on it? Developing a ritual from scratch takes a lot of work, a lot of successes. It's the sort of thing that sorcerers spend months, if not years, working on. Learning a ritual is much, much easier. You would just need to have found someone who developed such a ritual, wrote it or wrote it down in a book or something like that. And one thing I tried to do was put in a lot of rituals or as many paths as I could, because previous sorcerer, sorcerer books have been a little bit light on rituals, especially considering that you get a bunch of dots worth of them right from the start when you build the character. And I know that generating new content is often something that especially new players and STs are going to struggle with. So having a bunch of rituals already pre-written is very useful here. But yeah, you've got your ritual. Then for then first things first, it takes 10 minutes per level. On the other hand, this is now going to be a rank a level three ritual. So you're sitting there for 30 minutes doing this. Now the odd now doing it in front of them for 30 minutes, I, I would not recommend that. Yes, yes, I would probably have received a f- a firestorm of wedgies by that time if I were doing a beat poem assailing their uh, their dignity and talking about the promiscuity of their uh, spouses and so on. Yeah, so so this particular example I think would not work very well as a ritual. I, rituals are go- are going to be sl- even slower and more deliberative. They're going to be bigger effects. Like the rituals for that I made it in for fortune are yeah. You know, there's the one point death curse type ritual which has. I believe that one has appeared in previous versions. You get some extra oomph about it because you are dying at level two, which would normally only cause you know lasting but non-permanent inconvenience, injury, or small small benefit. You can push all the way to you know major setback setbacks, and it's modeled on the rhyme: "If you step on a crack, you break your mother's back." It's just there's a way for the victim to get around it by performing a certain behavior carefully. Really useful if you want to you know make someone have OCD for the rest of their life, which is not a thing that the path does, you know, that might be what your actual goal is to just make them paranoid. You know, finding a person who is a potential target for the true love merit. Like these are big effects, but they're not things that need to be done quickly in front of people. So in addition to letting them act as if they had one level higher in their path. So if I only have three dots in it, a three dot ritual, let me reach an aspect at level four. What else does ritualization give me so using a ritual gives you your path ability and additional successes to buy aspects so and that is not the level of the path you are using for the ritual that is 
your level of the path. So say you have fortune four and you're doing this as a rank three ritual. So it requires, you know, the number of successes, but you have four automatic successes towards aspects already to start from. So that really makes it a lot easier to do it, especially if you're trying to do it in one role, which you've already spent 30 minutes on this. There's only so long you can talk smack about people in rhyme. Eventually you run out of words that that rhyme with jerk. What is the rituals can bring more power to bear than spells by going beyond what the base spells of the path can achieve? So this is kind of a catch-all for cool things that it makes sense to be under the purview of the path, but which the basic path spells just don't do. So the kind of paradigm example of that is for is actually for Hellfire. So Hellfire lights fires. You know, throw in some other things that will make it do other kinds of sort of damage, you know, damagey things. But the point of it is that it causes fire, it causes damage to people. And it's very one shot. It's like you fire it off and it's done. And then there's the ritual, which is not original to this book. I believe it was in Sorcerer Revised, Hellblade, where you get a flaming sword. Thematically, it causes damage through fire. It fits the path of Hellfire, but there's no way to accomplish it with the path as written. So that makes it a reasonable candidate to be made into a ritual. So it's going to take a lot longer, but you can go beyond just what the path's default settings will let you do. And finally, uh, one of the interesting things about rituals in here is the idea of greater rituals. What is a greater ritual? So greater rituals are new to M20 Sorcerer. So in previous versions, there was absolutely no way that you could combine paths to accomplish things that couldn't be done otherwise. If you are trying to get a sense of what happened somewhere, you have to go to that place and use the path of divination. You can't look at a at a distant place and also scry backwards in time. Just not a possible thing for sorcerers to do. So with greater rituals, that line is removed, but it's very difficult to accomplish this. So first off, you can't do it. You need friends. So one side effect of this is that it encourage it creates a mechanical encouragement for the creation of not only sorcerous societies and fellowships, but also you know small groups of player character sorcerers. And it also gives an in-character reason for each member of the group to have different paths. Okay, so let's say that you are a crazy person who has created a new path for looking far away, creating new paths being very hard. Say there's a murder a couple blocks away. You can look a couple blocks away, but you can't do anything except for see what's going on over there uh, with your new path. So you have two options. Either you can also learn divination and go over there, ask your question and see what happens. Or you can call up your friend who has divination and the two of you can, from a safe place, generally speaking, your house is probably going to be safer than random place where you know there has been a murder. You can perform a greater ritual together where you're contributing looking far away And the other person is contributing, looking backward, you know, asking a question about something that happened backwards in time. And you must share practice in order to do this. You know, a member of the Ancient Order of the Aeon Rite and a member of the Star Council are going to have a hard time working together. Not saying it's impossible, just it's going to be weird. And they'll have to find some common language in which to work. And one of the ones that comes to mind that I find interesting is the combination of the ones that kind of manipulate other spaces like you have oneromancy and necronics and so on that you could be like no i want to light the shadowlands on fire and you'd be like okay hellfire plus necronics nice (laughs) yeah you can do some really great stuff great stuff by combining them but again you need 
multiple sorcerers. You cannot do a great ritual by yourself. Each of them needs to have the have one of the paths that you're combining to whatever level you need. They need to have a common practice, and then you still need to succeed at what's going to be a very difficult role. And it's interesting kind of looking over the systems, how it kind of pivots a bunch of things in Core Mage. One, this working together aspect. In Core Mage, there is no way for a, a magus with one sphere at a high enough level to combine it with another mage with a sphere at a high enough level to create a combined effect that is the sum of those spheres. If I have correspondence four and you have forces four, but neither of us have four in both, there's no way to work together to create that effect. The other thing that kind of is tilted on the side is the fact that you are pre-allocating successes that you you're rolling until you get to the ultimate effect you don't have the ability really to roll and then see how good you did you you are picking everything ahead of time yeah sorcerers cannot improvise in any reasonable way it's just not how sorcery works i think specifically said if you don't achieve the number of successes before you stop okay nothing happens you're done extended actions let you kind of push further but There's no, okay, this is getting really hard. I'm going to settle for a lesser version. It just is not a thing sorcerers can do to to make that choice. They have to to stop, choose a lesser version, and then start over and and do a different spell. Yeah, it's one of those things where like you're building a car tire. 90% of a car tire is not 90% as good as a whole car tire. It is still useless. So having done a lot of the mechanics, is there anything that you are particularly pleased by or uh, that you think players or tables will find engaging? The greater rituals were one of the things that I very much pushed for. I admit I don't like how mages can't work together in that way. And this was an opportunity to put something like that in and also create mechanics that say oh the four of you are are not just you know four random sorcerers who happen to you know know each other and have ridiculous adventures but you have various skills that the others don't and you can work together to go to go further and that's why you're a tight-knit group also actually on the same page as the greater rituals more connected to the creating new paths and rituals previous editions had sorcerers can create new paths and new rituals and it's hard we didn't make it easier than the old editions did and they made it very hard but we included a new way for uh, for it to go because it was kind of implied in several places at least by my reading of old sorcerer and mage supplements that there were ways that paths were sometimes created as sort of a byproduct of what mages do so we made that explicit that Essentially, a path is like a talisman, but with an ephemeral base. So every every sorcerer is someone who is trained that can use this tal- this talisman, which has its own arate function. You know, it's doing the magic. So a mage can just create a new path. They sit down with their prime five and whatever spheres they want, burn dozens of quintessence, and get similarly absurd numbers of successes. Then your mage, fr- your mage friend, who is a master of prime can just make you a new path for you to start learning. And in fact, this, to me at least, is kind of one of the core aspects of how technocrats win. The enlightened scientists are running around doing, making adjustments and developing procedures. Eventually those procedures are turned into paths as an active decision and part of the the various five-year plans and part of winning the Ascension War. And then those paths are now then put in the hands of extraordinary citizens who then go out into the world and suffering those witness penalties are still using them in front of people in appropriate settings. And eventually that 
shift the reality zone so that it becomes just an accepted mundane thing that people can do. So and suddenly the path of 5G comes into existence. <laughs> yeah, just the fact that there is a path that there's a path from the things that mages do to actually changing an aspect of the consensus was important to me. So those are my questions on the mechanics of how effects actually work. And obviously, if re listeners are interested in getting uh, the straight dope on everything, including how counter magic among hedge mages works and so on, please grab M20 Sorcerer. Link will be in the show notes. Charles, your output is frequently prodigious. It was nice seeing you add something to the canon. Are there any Storyteller Vault projects that you have out recently that you'd like to uh, tell listeners about? The most recent one was a set of corporations for the traditions for use with Rich Bastard's Guide to Magic. You know, just because you're not the technocracy doesn't mean there aren't big corporations where that can justify huge amounts of wealth and resources being thrown in your direction. I've got a few more in the pipeline, but they are not quite ready. I'm on Patreon and my patrons have seen several drafts and seem to like what they're seeing. They haven't stopped being my patrons, so that's usually a good sign. Yeah, that's usually a good sign, yeah. <laughs> okay, and I will include a link to those in the show notes. Charlie, thank you so much for your work on M20 Sorcerer, and thank you for explaining it to us. Thank you for having me on. Normally, I don't list the executive producers for our bonus episodes, but not doing it this time felt weird, so I figure I'd do it anyway. So I'd like to thank Oracle Buck Gregory, Oracle Christopher Phillips, Oracle Josh Hillerup, Oracle Jay Widener, Oracle McHale, and Oracle The Crew of Erebus for supporting us. Additionally, I would like to thank Alex, Alexia, Anders S., Andrew Edelstein, Anon, Bedurfi, Birdo, Blaze Hibbert, Boo, Boogers to the Sixth, Brad of the Blue, Bryce Perry, Chris B., Daniel Cuppin, Daniel Scribner, Dan Svensson, David Roy, Dennis Osborne, Derek Semsek, Fraggle Rock, Gargle Lenoir, George Laura, Guy Conan Stewart, Ia Bull, Jason Kennedy, Jason Vines, Jason W. Briggs, Jeff Bryn, Jenna F., John Magnuson, JoLynn Andes, Joshua Heath, Kathleen Halperin, Chris Kinner, Leslie Weatherstone, Matthew Proyle, Michael Creedle, Michael Parker, Morgan Aran, Nathan Weaver, DeBarrow, Neil Patterson, Nikita Klamanov, Oliver Schindler, Patrick McNamara, Patrick Mulder, Pukaji, Rachel Grace, Ralph Scheinhammer, Ricardo, Richard Bat Brewster, Robart the Robot, Rob H., Ryan Kendi, Samuel Tobin, Stephen Carton, Thrice Great, William Connolly, William Martin, and Zach Rules. I'll do a shout-out with our next regular episode, but in the meantime, thanks everyone for your support. Bye.